You guys can take a seat. Good morning, Salt City. What a joy it is to be with you this morning. College students being back is so great. Like, this is so fun. Uh, packed house, which is why we're getting a building. So that's good for all of us. So it's good to be with you guys. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. I'm one of the college pastors here in our local church. I get to lead and pastor the Salt Company in the city of St. Paul. And it's been an unbelievable year. And we're so excited for what God will do. This morning, we're finishing up our Sons in the Faith series. So if you got a Bible, we'd love for you to open up to Titus chapter 3. It's a long chunk of the way through the Word. Otherwise, you can use an app or, or use uh, the Google machine, whatever, whatever to get to Titus chapter 3. But for the last eight weeks, we've been looking through the pastoral epistles that Paul has been giving to uh, the men of Titus and Timothy to instruct the local church to raise up a healthy local church family. And some of the ways that we've seen him do that is by instructing them on what it looks like to raise up godly elders, those who know Jesus and have their character being reflected of him, and also to guard sound doctrine. And this morning, this is a conversation about what it looks like to live that out to be a local church family that lives out the calling of God on our lives and to remember the redemption that we've been given. As we turn to Titus chapter 3, one of the questions that I have for you this morning is have you ever thought or have, have you ever thought that life might have been better when you weren't a Christian? Okay, so I know I'm not supposed to ask that and that's like illegal from like a Christian standpoint, but, but if you really think about it, I think all of us at times have this thought in our minds. Was my life better when I wasn't a Christian? Was my life better B.C., before Christ? So I was thinking about a couple of different things in my life that I think have a temptation to think about. And one of them is, before you're a Christian, no one tells you how to live. Like, you can live whatever you want to do as long as it doesn't harm someone or it's, like, distinctly illegal. It's true. Pretty freeing. Or before you're a Christian, I don't know about you guys, but I had so much more disposable income. Like, I... I had Chipotle like seven days a week before I was a Christian, and it was awesome. It was so good. But when you're a Christian, you're called to give. Or, or maybe for some of us, it, it feels like, man, before I was a Christian, I never had to feel convicted. I never had to feel this need to change, to look more like Jesus. There was no example to follow so you could live however you wanted. And the reason why I bring this up this morning is I think for some of us, it's just a fleeting thought in our minds. I think for some of us, it's an active temptation. And maybe you're here, and you've grown up through the faith, and you've been around Christianity for a while, and you're single, and you've watched a ton of your friends get married. And now they're actually having kids. And now they're in this season of life where you actually don't have many single people around you anymore, and you're asking yourself the question, is following Christ's predicament, or following Christ's love for dating, a life of purity, better than the cultural values? of sexual freedom, being with whoever you want and doing whatever you want, is that Christian way actually better than the BC type of way? Or maybe some of you guys are in this room and you've been giving sacrificially to the church, not just in your time and your effort, but also in your money for decades on decades, and you're asking yourself the question, is this actually worth it? Or maybe for all of us, we feel this, this shame at times, that we look at what the Bible calls us to do and we look at our internal narratives and we look at our internal thought scripts and we think to ourselves, I'll never be the type of person I want to be. I'll never be more like Christ. And so we feel this constant pressure to change and we're wondering if maybe, maybe if I wasn't a Christian, life would be easier. So the big idea I have for us this morning is actually to fight against some of those thoughts and temptations in our lives. And so here's the big idea. It's a very simple idea but it is 
Christian life is awesome. Okay, open up your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 3. A Christian life is awesome. In order to remember how awesome the Christian life is, we have to remember our calling, remember who we were, and remember our redemption. Look with me to verse 1 as we go to remember our calling. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Okay, here is the calling of God on every single one of our lives, is to be gentle. And it's actually more than that, but it's not less than that. It's actually to be gentle, but gentle in ways that many of us in our nature don't want to be. So let's break down this verse in a way that's very countercultural. He's calling us to be gentle towards rulers and authorities being submissive to the law calling us to be gentle towards receiving instructions by God and the church to be obedient, to be gentle in our posture in life, ready for every good work, gentle towards others, speaking evil of no one, like literally no one, not even like the craziest people. We're not allowed to speak evil of them. That's what Paul is saying. Gentle towards argumentative people or situations by avoiding quarreling, gentle towards all people by showing perfect courtesy. See, the call of the Christian is incredibly simple, but it's also extremely high. And I want you to notice here that Paul doesn't clarify his call. He doesn't add asterisks to his calling. The call is not to be gentle and submissive to the rulers and authorities that you support or politically align with. The call of the Christian is not to be obedient to the instruction of God's word when you agree with it. This call to be gentle and holy in every way, to be ready for every good work, is not because your authorities are perfect, or the people in your life are perfect, but because you are a Christian. In many ways, the call in Titus 3, verses 1 and 2, may be one of the highest calls we receive in the New Testament. A call to living in such a way that is so outside of our normal bent and in stark contradiction with our current culture. If you think about the world that we live in, we do not live in a world that values gentleness. We live in a world that values antagonism. The vision of you versus me, your party versus my party, your beliefs versus my beliefs. Because in our culture, someone has to win. A person, an idea, a party, a group of people have to win. And in a culture where there is no, where in an ecosystem of vision on domination, there is no room for gentleness. Okay, think with me to your own personal conversations that you have with people outside of the church or even inside the church. Where do our conversations tend to generally trend towards? Is it encouragement of your coworkers and your bosses or cynicism of them? Is it lifting up and speaking highly of those in authority of you or breaking breaking them down bit by bit? Here's what I'm saying. That gentleness is so countercultural to our culture of antagonism. And so I want to pause here and ask you the question that you're probably asking, which is why is this call in verses 1 through 2, this incredibly high Christian call, part of Christianity being awesome? And that's because this type of living is the singular way to change people and to change the world. Think back with me to one of the greatest social revolutions in human history as MLK led the human rights activist movement. When you think of Martin Luther King Jr., do you think of anger, aggression, Or do you think of gentleness? See, MLK was modeling his ministry off of the ministry of Christ, a gentle and yet firm ministry. 
See, the reason why remembering your calling as a Christian is so awesome is because although it's hard, it's worth it. It changes the world. Gentleness matters. Who you are matters. Okay, so as I was thinking about the way that a gentle countenance or gentle character can actually change the world, I actually thought of my friend Jalil. So I might have mentioned Jalil's name a couple different times, but he's one of the guys I get a disciple at Salt St. Paul. And to give you a category, he's six feet five, so he's huge, okay? And the reason why I tell you that is because his grandma calls him the gentle Goliath, which is so cute. Like, come on, that's amazing. But theologically a little odd, because don't you want to be David? Anyway, so Jalil is this gentle giant or gentle Goliath. But what's really cool about Jalil's story is he wasn't always that way. And actually, he grew up in a culture, in a place where being aggressive and antagonistic was what was what meant to be morally right in that situation. And so he grew up in all of that and then came to know Jesus September 9th of 2021 at our kickoff, and his life has rapidly been changed. And he's become this gentle soul that walks with people. So not only do I celebrate what has happened in Jalil's life of going from being uh, aggressive to gentle, but actually there's this area of his life where his gentleness changes people's lives. And that's because Jalil actually works as a correctional officer in a jail. And jails are not known for a culture of gentleness. They're not known for people giving their lives sacrificially for the inmates. And yet Jalil stood as a light in a dark place and began to hand out Bibles to inmates over and over and over again, telling them to read. He had a captive audience and he was able to disciple so many guys. <laughs> that's what I think of. I'm like, Jalil, good strategy. But the, <laughs> shouldn't have ruined that. Anyways. But he handed out Bible after Bible after Bible and actually had to ask the jail for more Bibles because he ran out of Bibles. Because he was one of the only correctional officers that treated people with gentleness. Salt City, this is how the world changes. Our culture wants to tell you that you can change the world by being aggressive or antagonistic or tearing other people down. This is what Jesus calls us to, a life of gentleness that slowly changes the countenance of the culture that we live in and the people that we're around. So we are called as a Christian culture to be gentle. So here are a couple of specific applications that might dig a little bit, and I, I would love to see people practice this this week. When your coworkers are bombing your boss, just destroying your boss with anything, it can even be how they look, how they act, what they say, you are called to speak highly of your boss, even if they're a horrible boss. That's the Christian call. When someone wants you to engage in their social media political warfare and they want you to comment about what you believe and strike down others who comment, comment on other people's posts about what they believe, the call is to be gentle, to avoid quarreling, to seek peace with people. When you meet someone that's hard to love, the Christian call is perfect courtesy. That's the calling on our lives. And my hope is that as we as a people, Salt City Church, bring gentleness into every culture that we're in, every room that we're in, every environment that we're in, God would begin to use us as beacons of light in the dark place like God has been using Jalil as a correctional officer. Okay, so that's part one. Part two, in order for us to remember how beautiful the Christian life is, how awesome the Christian life is, we must remember who you were. Look with me to verse three. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Okay, so Paul does this kind of funny thing where he's like, yeah, verse in one, two is a really hard call, but here's why you need to do that, because verse three is an even harder call. 
Verse 1 and 2, the life of a gentle Christian is a very difficult call. But verse 3, the life of who you were is far harder. In verse 3, Paul gives maybe one of the most accurate, sharp, and painful descriptions of the human condition. And so I'm going to break it down right now. He starts with this, that we were once foolish. Okay, that word foolish means warped. It's this idea that Paul wants us to understand that when we were first created, we were designed with a heart that was outward facing towards God and towards his creation. But as sin broke into our hearts, our hearts went from being outward to being warped inward, where it was no longer about what God wanted or the good of his people, but it became about us, that we became the ultimate point of truth in our lives, that we became the ultimate reality, and that we became ultimately selfish. We were warped. The second thing that Paul said is that we were disobedient and led astray. So the problem in 2022 is not that we have a lack of Bibles in America or a lack of Bibles across the world. The problem is that we see God's law and we actively disobey it. Our hearts say, God, I believe, even if I think that's a good design, I'm not willing to submit myself to that. I want to put my desires over your word. As we disobey God, we are led astray into the paths of sin. And maybe here's the pinnacle of the human condition. He says they're enslaved to various passions and pleasures. Salt City, here's what happened. In the narrative of the word of God from Genesis 3 onwards, our separation from God's design left a gap in our hearts and made us dependent on other things. Dependent on things to fill the ache of the soul that was, fill the ache in our souls that there must be more to this life. Things to cover the deepest wounds in our hearts and things to make us feel alive because sin has slowly eroded us. See, Salt City, I want you to understand the design of the human heart was to be fully entwined with God's heart to be pulsing and beating for the same things that his heart pulses and beats for. But as we pushed away from God, our souls became desperate and empty. And here's what having a desperate soul is like. It's like a drowning man. When a man drowns, the man does not die of holding his breath. When you drown, you die of drinking in water, desperately trying to intake something. And here's the reality. Until you know Jesus, your soul is drowning, desperately trying to intake something. So like the drowning man intakes water, a sinful man intakes idols. And here's what idols do. They enslave you by promising you life but delivering you death. And here's what serving idols feels like. The more that you serve idol of success, the more discontent you'll be with your job, your position, and your power, and your money because it will never be enough for you to be fully satisfied. The more that you serve the idol of beauty, the more you'll become disappointed with your age as the applause starts to slow, as the Instagram likes start to slow, as the responses to your beauty starts to slow, and you put more and more effort into something that will give you more and more death. The more you serve the idol relationships, the more angry you'll become with your spouse, your roommates, the friends in your life, because they will never live up to the expectations that you're putting on them. They are like a bridge that cannot hold the tons of expectation in your life. Idols promise us life, but they deliver death. They are graceless masters that enslave us. Here's why this is so important for us to understand, Salt City, is that Jesus is a far more gracious master than idols. As I read this text, I started actually tearing up at this verse, which I know is kind of like a weird part to tear up about. But I was actually thinking back to my life before I came to know Jesus. In kind of a moment of clarity, I was able to remember uh, the idols that I was serving, 
that I was serving and bowing and worshiping and cutting myself for idols of money and status. And uh, it, when we came to America, my, my parents brought three kids and two suitcases and no money. And so we grew up extremely poor. And I had this vision in my life ever since I was a two-year-old kid and, and ever since I was a five-year-old kid that my dad told us that our condition, I was like, man, once I make enough money, I will finally be free. Free from the worries of this world, free from the worries of financial disparity. And I believed that as soon as I could make enough money to be standing on my own, I would feel free. And I remember this moment in college where I was a workaholic and, and, and I actually got to the place where I was making a significant amount of money. I remember thinking at that time, I've never felt more enslaved. Because this idol that I'd been worshiping for my whole life, this idol I had been bowing everything to and giving my whole self to promised me life, but brought me death. See, the, re the reason why the Christian life is awesome is that even though it is hard, and yes, it is absolutely hard, even though it requires sacrifice, and it does require sacrifice, even though the, the call is extraordinarily high, it is far better than being weighed down by the chains of idols that will never fulfill you. That is the simple reality of the Christian life. That is why it is so important for us to remember who we were, to have a moment of clarity to realize that the Christian life is better. So here's the application for this point, if you're taking notes. I want you to take a moment this morning, during worship, outside of today, throughout this week, to think back to who you were before you came to know Jesus, the idols that once enslaved you. And for some of you in this room, maybe the reflection is actually who you currently are, the idols that are enslaving you and dripping away every ounce of life that is in you and replacing it with death. And praise Jesus that you no longer have to be a slave to those idols or that he's willing to deliver you from them today. Okay, we'll finish here on point three. Remember your redemption. Look with me to verse four. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done in us in righteous, done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. People. Okay. I love how Paul starts verse 4. The first word he uses in verse 4 is but. And the reason why that's so important, Salt City, for us to get theologically, is that though we were once a verse 3 type of people, but God, in his goodness and loving kindness, saved us, not because of our goodness, but because of his goodness. Not because of our righteousness, but because of her, his righteousness. Not because of what we deserve, but because of his mercy. I once heard it described in, in, in the idea of salvation, that in salvation I did all the sinning and Jesus did all the saving. That I was broken and Jesus was beautiful and he became broken so that I too could become beautiful in his sight. That although we were once a verse 3 type of people, praise God that we have a verse 4 and 5 type of God. And I love what Paul says here in verse 5, that he did that by washing us, redeeming us, regenerating us, and renewing us by his spirit, which he poured out on us richly. So I'll say, this is the gospel. Not that we were just in, not that God just saved us from a verse 3 type of life, but he gave us a new identity. No longer enslaved to various passions, but an heir to the hope of righteousness of eternal life. This is good news. 
that once we were verse 3 type of people, but God was a verse 4 and 5 type of God. But Salt City, this is why this is such good news for us. Not only do we not have to be enchained to the idols in verse 3, not only was God gracious enough to save us in his grace, but also he gave us himself. See, one of the best parts of the Christian life is that you do not have to walk it alone. That as he saved you, he didn't just save you from death to life, but he actually implanted in you the spirit of God. This is the grace that we've been given. And now, because of that being given to us, the power of the spirit in us, a verse three type of people can become a verse one and two type of people, not by our will, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, regenerating us and washing us and cleaning out the rubble left by broken idols. This is the grace that we've received, that we do not have to walk it alone. Okay, so here are the final reminders for us this morning. To remember that the Christian life is awesome, remember your calling, a hard but beautiful calling to change the world. To remember who you were, that although the Christian life is hard, the alternative is far harder, and remember your redemption, that Jesus Christ in his radical grace poured out his love upon you, and now you are not alone. That once you were a verse three type of people, but you can become a verse one and two type of person by the power of the Spirit in you. Okay, so as, as we end here this morning, I was actually really convicted by this passage, partly because anyone who really knows me or my friends, they call me intense, okay? They do not call me gentle. They call me intense. So I'm working on it. And I was actually really convicted because temperamentally, I don't feel like I'm very gentle, but also spiritually, I feel like God is weeding this out of my heart this need to get through the broken idols by myself, this thing to clean myself up on my own, and I think he's making me much softer. And I think primarily he's actually doing that through my wife, Josie. If you know my wife, she's actually incredibly gentle. She's gracious with all people. She actually lives out Titus 3 really, really well, and in her character and humility, she's been showing me that I need to pursue a gentle life. But ultimately, Salt City, the reason why we pursue gentleness is not just because of the call that we've been given in the Christian faith, not just because of the spirit that's been given in us through him, but because we also have an example in Jesus Christ who lived out Titus 3 verses 1 and 2 perfectly. He lived out a life of gentleness and he defeated death by gentleness, not by anger. He defeated death not by brokenness and antagonism, but by serving us in himself. See, the reason why we pursue a gentle life is not because of us or even because of other people, but because we have an example of the king who used gentleness to kill death and to kill sin. Let's pray as we enter into worship. Father, I'm thankful that we get to be reminded of the Christian life, that the Christian life is awesome, not because of anything that we've done or because of what we say but simply because of the grace that you've given us in yourself. Father, I'm thankful that even while we are a verse three type of people, you are a verse four and five type of God, that you would redeem us out of your mercy and your grace, out of your righteousness, not our righteousness, that you'd save us from a life of sin, and you'd save us from a life of idols. Pray, Father, that this morning you release the chains of idols in our lives, that you remind us that, Father, we don't have to live enslaved to idols anymore, we can live as sons and heirs of the living God. Pray that you would change us, that you would mend us, that you would mold us and make us to be more like you. In your powerful name we pray. Amen.